Welcome to the Church 214 podcast. We're glad that you've joined us today. We hope that you enjoy today's message. And if you'd like to find out more about our church, please visit our website at church214.org. All right, all right. It appears that this church has really fallen in love with the mingle time, which is awesome. So I hate to burst this beautiful moment apart, but uh, I, do have, I do have a limited amount of time. It's, it's getting ready, but I'm not starting this timer until I'm actually starting to preach. This is not part of it. It's not part of it. So the faster you get back to your seats, the faster I start the timer and the faster the, the banter stops. Unless you enjoy my banter, I can keep going. <laughs> Ooh, wow, that's a, that's a loud beep. Is it going to, like, start really, a, like, a huge alarm when it gets to, like, an hour, hour and a half? Huge alarm, okay. How's everybody doing today? It didn't pick you up in the mic. Facebook Live. Really loud because over the Internet. Um, uh, this is a rare thing for me, um, not, w- not leading worship and not preaching, but doing both um, on the same weekend is pretty rare. Um, there's sort of an unwritten rule in our, it's like an unofficial bylaw that I'm not supposed to do both on the same weekend. And I really do appreciate that, but this is actually my third time doing this. Um, so I know that I, I have survived up to this point. So I have reason to believe I'll survive this time too. Um, this wasn't the plan. Uh, we had some curveballs thrown our way. Um, surprise, surprise, as if we haven't had any curveballs thrown our way lately. And so we had to make some schedule changes, and, and so we're here. And the fact of the matter is, I won't go into it, all the details, but God's plan is, is just better. Um, I didn't think I wanted it this way, but I actually, now that I'm here, I really do want it this way. Um, yeah, and, and isn't that how it happens like 99% of the time? You know, we think we have these good ideas, and we really do in this church. We, we spend a lot of time praying and a lot of time pressing in and a lot of time planning well, and we have a very good plan. And then, like, God makes it better. And, and so I get to kick off this series instead of close it, which is cool because this series was originally my idea. First one ever. Like five and a half years in or whatever it is. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I know, I know. I'm super creative. I have a lot of good ideas. One. So, uh, so if, this is, if this series is no good, you guys can just go ahead and email me. <laughs> Don't email Heather, okay? It's, it's my fault. Um, but this is an insane time we're living in, right? It's, it's so insane. You know, what started as a pandemic of a virus has quickly morphed into something way worse, right? A pandemic of fear and division. How many know that things like vaccines and a good diet and thieves oil can take care of viruses, but that stuff doesn't do much against fear and division? It's way worse now. The viruses are the least of our concerns, trust me. And I don't want to make light of health issues. I don't want to make, especially of the elderly who are more susceptible to it, but I promise you fear and division are always worse because they kill you on 
the inside <laughs> that kill you in the soul. For the last several months, we've all been doing our best to make sense of all of this. And it didn't take long for many people, including myself, to wish for the good old days of February. <laughs> you know, February 2020, 158 years ago, right? When everybody still acted like a human being most of the time. Or whenever, or maybe, actually, you know what? Let me say it again. We're acting like human beings now. We lost our heads. We definitely lost our heads, right? Fear and division all over the place. But this statement, those were the days, it's a statement that every generation adopts. It's nothing new, okay? We're acting like we're the first people that came up with it. Man, it wouldn't be nice. Those were the days when, ev when everything was normal, right? Man, every, every generation back to the beginning of time says that, says this, okay? They always think it's better back then, and that's just insane on so many levels. There's no way you want to go back to the days of dial-up internet. There's just no way, okay? Or no running water. Or no knowledge of basic hygiene and how that affects your body. Or that organic is better than, you know, like processed food and all that stuff. I mean, you just don't want to go back there. And this, but this, this, those were the days attitude isn't necessarily bad. The past isn't bad, okay? It's not inherently bad. We should, we should learn from the past. We should remember to a certain extent our mistakes. We should remember the faithfulness of God and the provision of God. We should do that. But you got to be careful because the enemy is at work. And the enemy can very easily twist that those were the days attitude. Okay? He can easily twist that um, into a lie to keep us from stepping forward. So we've got to be careful how much we strive. It's okay to remember the past, but we can't strive to return to the past. We can't strive to return to a previous, previously established norm because the enemy might be, probably is, <laughs> trying to keep you from stepping forward. The enemy can easily fool us into unintentionally resisting a move of God when God's trying to do something new. And we definitely don't want to be in that place. Amen. And the Bible is exceedingly clear about this. Isaiah 43, it's going to be up on the screen. 43, verse 18. You must not remember the former things. This is even stronger than my language I just used, okay? Even stronger. You must not remember the former things. You must not consider the former things. Look, I'm about to do a new thing. Now it sprouts. God's doing something new right now. Do you not perceive it? How many times have we said that over the last six months? Indeed, I will make a way in the wilderness, rivers in the desert. The animals of the field will honor me, jackals and daughters of the ostrich. For I give water in the wilderness, rivers in the desert, a double portion. Always pay attention when God repeats himself. To give a drink to my chosen people, that's you and me. This people who I formed for myself, that's good news, so they might make known my praise. What God is saying through the prophet Isaiah is this. You are currently in the wilderness. You are currently in a desert, and it's awful. But guess what? I'm going to make rivers in the desert. How many know there aren't any rivers in the desert? So FSV, flop standard version, what, what I would say in my translation is, hey, don't worry, you guys. It feels like you're in the desert, but guess what? I'm going to do impossible things, 
like making rivers in the desert to sustain you in the desert, so, wa- so that what? So that you might make known my praise while I'm in the desert. And then I'm going to do impossible things to get you out of the desert, so that what? So that you might make known my praise. And then when we get to the promised land, you're going to what? Make known my praise. All the way through. All the way through. So don't be imprisoned by the lie that those were the days. Don't be imprisoned by the lie that your best days are behind you, that your calling is behind you. You see, the American dream, the, this garbage lie the American dream has taught us, that in your 20s, in your 30s, and if you're lucky, into your early 40s, remember, 40s over the hill. It's, all, it's over. 40s over the hill. We re, we all, we re, this church rejects it officially in Jesus' name. Make it, <laughs> let it be written, let it be done, Okay. We reject it. But that's what the American dream tells us. That's your peak effectiveness. And then, some, and then it kind of just down. And then somewhere between 50, 60, 65, you retire. And, you know, and then it's awesome, right? You're just on the beach all the time. <laughs> Social security, yeah. Okay. Like, it's, it's garbage. It's just straight garbage, guys. Never mind the fact that Genesis tells us that Adam and Eve were created to What? Work in the garden. That's all it says. It doesn't say work until 65 and then stop working. It just says work. It just says work. And let me be very freaking clear here. I, for one, plan on retiring from my day job at the earliest possible opportunity. I would do it tomorrow. I would have done it, I would have done it on Friday. Okay. I'm planning on doing it, so I'm not hating on retirement, but I'm not going to retire from work. I'm not going to retire from work. The American dream has leaked into the church over the years despite no biblical basis for it, and it's leading to dangerous consequences. I've seen people become less and less involved over time and eventually stop serving altogether. I'm telling you, you're going to die. I know it's strong language, but I promise. Maybe... They feel like they're too old. Could be, a, could be some doubt leaking in. They might feel like they're too old. They might feel like they're aging out, like the church is sort of passing them by. Or maybe it's something more like selfishness. They just feel like they want to be served now. Or somewhere in between, or could be some other reason. Some of those people might still give their money, maybe even lots of money, which is awesome but it's no longer a source of joy for them. Dangerous to give money when your heart, when it's not a source of joy in your heart. Because here's what happens. You get that curmudgeon syndrome. You do. I've even seen them stop giving because, and this is no joke. I've heard this reason before. After all these years, I've given enough. Be very careful, because here's what I'm going to say. Here's what I'll ask you. Here's what Jesus is going to ask you. Hey, guess what? I died on the cross for your sins. Are you sure you've given enough? Are you sure you've served enough? I've served in babies 100 Sundays. I've, I've led worship 10,000 hours of my life. I've preached all these messages. I've given all this money. Jesus died for you. so that you could spend eternity with him. But you've given enough, and you've served enough. Come back and talk to him when you've lost your life. Don't talk to me. Don't apologize to me. 
you have a conversation with the Holy Spirit when you've lost your life too. At times, they can be negative about younger generations. And I'm not just talking, please, let me be very clear here. I am not, this is not a bash people that are older than me. I'm 32. I am not bashing people that are older than me. Okay, every generation has a tendency to look down on the next one. I've had negative thoughts about the next generation before. They have no idea, yeah, they have no idea what VHS is. They have no idea about the tracking button to get the fuzz out of the screen. (laughs) How can they appreciate, you know, they will never have slow internet, ever. (laughs) They will never have slow internet. It will only get faster. (laughs) I mean, so believe me, like, and the fact that they didn't have to experience things like that, it distorts my, as dumb as internet speed might sound, it distorts my view of them sometimes. So I'm not just talking about the oldest people in the room, okay? Don't become one of those people where the first thing out of your mouth is, well, back in my day. Man, those were the days, remember that? I've been in churches, I've been in churches where this mentality, in this particular case from older people than me, they complained about the younger generation to the leadership. And, the, younger ge- and the, the leadership, their personal convictions were in line with what the younger generation is doing. But because that negative mentality seeped in and because they were afraid of man, they, made, they took action to pacify the negative, those were the days opinion of the older generation, and squashed the younger generation in the process. This is very freaking dangerous. <laughs> it's dangerous. But... Let me be clear. Does anyone actually want to be that? Those people that influenced the leadership in a negative way, they didn't want to be that way either. Nobody wakes up and says, I'm going to be negative today. <laughs> Nobody wakes up and says, I'm a curmudgeon now. Nobody wake up, wakes up and says, well, I'm, just, I'm old, so I'm, I'm, going to be, I'm going to be negative now. No. You get that way because you took a, a million steps Little steps in the wrong direction. It takes decades to get to that point most of the time. Nobody starts out their life wanting to become that. And in defense of the individual, let me also say this. There are many churches out there that do a terrible job of keeping people engaged as time goes on. They do a terrible job. Some churches, many churches, I will say, push older people aside. And they should be embarrassed. They should be ashamed of themselves. That will not happen in this church, I can assure you. And if it does, call us out. We'll correct it immediately, I promise. It's not going to happen here. So if what God says is true, that I have a calling on my life, then that means that year 40 is going to be the best year up to that point, and 50 will be even better, and 60 will be even better, and 70 will be even better, and however much time I've got left, each year is going to be better than the last. I did not say easier. I said better. That's what a calling is. That's what a purpose is for. You have no biblical reason to assume that the impact you make, the impact you are called to make, mind you, should diminish over time past a certain point or should be determined by the gifts you have or don't have. Okay, complete silence. Let me say it one more time so everybody makes sure you get it. It was a lot. The impact you are make, you have no biblical reason to assume that the impact you make, the impact you are called to make, should diminish over time past a certain point or should be determined by the gifts you have or do not have. 
from day one, our approach, everything else in the world's like that, though. The church is called to be different. So from day one at this church, we have made it very simple, and it will continue to be this simple. Hey, I see you've expressed interest in serving in church. Fantastic. Or hey, you know what? I've noticed these gifts in you. Let's try and find a lane for you. Let's try and find a lane for you. And once we do, you just go. All right? We'll check in every once in a while. You just go. Just keep going and don't stop until the day you die. That is how the church, every single church, no matter the denomination, no matter how loud the worship is, no matter how many people, no matter what the style is, what country, that's how every single church in the world should treat every single child of God. And every single visitor that might not even be saved yet that still comes in those doors, you treat them all like this. It's that simple. You have a calling on your life, and it's in front of you. It's driving every single step forward. You're facing forward. If you keep looking back at those days, you're in trouble, right? You're in trouble. I'm not bashing the older generation here. I'm asking all of us, no matter what age you are, to be increasingly filled with the Spirit day after day, year after year, because if you do that, the rest of this will take care of itself. Think about the impact we would make if we were filled with the Spirit, so then we started to listen intently so that we could hear clearly, so that we could obey quickly. Listen intently, hear clearly, obey quickly. And the more you do that day after day after day, just do that increasingly. All of that rest of this stuff, it's going to take care of itself. It's all going to take care of itself. So how easy is it to stay in your, so if we've got this lane, how easy is it to stay in your lane if you're looking backwards? How, how easy is it to walk straight? How, what's the likelihood I'm going to walk right off the stage if I run into that speaker, if I'm walking this way and I'm looking this way? Guarantee it's going to happen, Okay. What if your lane has a turn? And this is, not, this is not the devil jumping in, okay? This is God saying, I have a change for you. What if your lane has a turn in it? What if there's an obstacle in it? And God is always speaking, right? The Holy Spirit's trying to tell you, hey, there's a turn coming. Hey, there's a turn coming. Hey, there's a mountain. There's a mountain. Hurry. Wait. Pay attention. God's trying to prepare you for the turn or for the obstacle, but you're too busy looking back at those were the days, and bam. You run straight into that obstacle. Or if there's a turn, instead of turning, you keep going straight and you're way out of your lane. You're no longer walking or running in your calling. You're off in the ditch somewhere. In central Illinois, you'd be in the middle of a cornfield or a soybean field. The thing is, the Bible is super clear about this. I'll just give you a couple examples. Solomon says in Proverbs 4:25. May your eyes look forward and your gaze be straight before you. The wisest man ever. We need to listen. Jesus, also a man worth listening to. Luke 9.62. 9.62. This is really, really good. Anyone who puts a hand to the plow, pause. Good, good thing. Work. I'm in my calling. I'm doing my calling. I, I, I'm leading worship, God. I'm serving in kids, God. I'm, I'm putting my hand to the plow. I'm working. 
anyone who puts his hand to the plow, which is a good thing, and looks back, is what? Not fit for the kingdom of God. Come on. That better be a sobering fact for you. It certainly is for me. I'm doing a good thing, God. Not fit for the kingdom of heaven. There is no mention of age anywhere there. On the other hand, when God is explicit about age, he says things like older men should teach younger men how to be men. And older women should teach younger women how to be women. And I got to confess, maybe I'm the only person that's thought this before, but whenever I ran into that passage, I always had this picture of the oldest people in the church teaching the youngest people in the church. And that's like exceedingly narrow and not even close to what that passage means. And thankfully, our church is actually doing a pretty good job of, of like, implementing that. Because what it really means is, um, like, the 16-year-old boys need to spend time with, like, the 10-year-old boys. We have, we have teenagers and junior higher serving in babies. That's what that means. We need, we need 25-year-old women having c- tough conversations with 16-year-old women. And we need, like, 55-year-old men pulling the 42-year-old men aside and saying, hey, let me help you. That's what that passage means. Here's another awesome one, Job 17.9, one of my favorite verses in the Bible now. The righteous keep moving, come on, help me, forward. And those with clean hands become stronger and stronger. Not stronger and stronger until 65. The righteous keep moving forward, end of discussion. Those with clean hands become stronger and stronger. End of discussion. And so now that I'm done with my intro, um, <laughs> I would like to, this, this verse, <laughs> uh, I'm not kidding, actually. But uh, this verse, um, I know, I know, it's right here. I'm good, I'm good. This verse so beautifully leads me into uh, the first uh, biblical character I want to look at today. We're going to look at three men very quickly. Um, and this man, Caleb, did this. He was a righteous man that moved forward, and, his, and he had clean hands, and he became stronger and stronger as time went on, okay? And the reason I want to look at Caleb, and, and there's two other men I'll get to, is because I've, I at least have spent several messages talking about, like, the absolute superheroes of the Bible. There's heroes, and there's, like, superheroes, right? Moses, the greatest prophet ever. Paul wrote most of the New Testament is the reason that the church <laughs> exists here, kind of, in a way. David, you know, Daniel, they get, these guys get lots of airtime. And as much as we do a good job of humanizing them, sometimes it's hard for us as humans in the present to, look, to read about them and not be intimidated by how many points they put up on the scoreboard, right? Like, I didn't write any books of the Bible. Paul wrote a bunch. Like, I haven't murdered anyone. I have in my heart, though. David, right? So, like, David wrote all of those songs. So, it's hard to get past the scoreboard with some of those guys. And so, what I want to do is focus on a few men that get, like, no airtime in the Bible, and Caleb is the first one I want to go to here. Uh, Numbers 24, uh, 14, verse 24, is the verse that just absolutely leaped off the page at me as I was preparing for this message. This is God 
speaking to Moses about Caleb. But my servant Caleb, because he has a different spirit, has followed me fully. I will bring into the land which he went, and his descendants shall possess it. Now, earlier, what's going on here? I jumped in the middle of a really good story. What's going on here? If you read the passages leading up to that verse, you will find out that the Israelites are on the edge of the promised land. Okay? They came out of Egypt. They're on the edge of the promised land. They send 12 spies into the promised land, one from each tribe. Joshua and Caleb are two of those 12. They do a scouting mission. They come back, and they're going to use this information to plan their campaign to conquer the region. Joshua and Caleb give a positive report. Yes, we can take this land. God told us to. It's time to go right now because that's what God is telling us to do right now. The other 10 gave a negative report. So 12 men, now just as I, tell, as I explain this, see if it relates at all to what we're going through today. 12 men saw the same land, the same military strength, the same fortifications, the same resources, the same information, objectively the same information, and they came back with opposite interpretations of it. Has that ever happened before? It's not a new problem in 2020. It's always been happening. So, what does this mean? The spirit you carry into a situation determines the lens you use for interpretation. Okay? The spirit you carry into a situation is going to determine the lens you use for interpretation. They so, th- th- this negative report so altered the perception of God in the minds of those Israelites, that, that they rejected the faithfulness of God. They rejected the pr- provision of God. The God that had brought them out of Egypt with ten plagues and split the Red Sea so they could walk across on dry ground and led them through the desert with a pillar of cloud by day and a pillar of fire by night. They so rejected his faithfulness and his vision for their lives that they state very clearly that they want to go back to Egypt. Now, quick FSV detour here, flop standard version. This is what they say. Hey, sure we were slaves. It wasn't that great. But we had food. We had shelter. We had stability. We had certainty. Many people would call that ideal investing conditions. Okay? You see, those were the days. Have you ever said that before? Life was simpler back then. It was hard, but it was simple back then. Have you ever said that before? See, you just change the wording a little bit. Just move the goalpost a little bit at a time, and all of the sudden, slavery doesn't sound like slavery anymore. <sighs> you got to be careful. All the enemy has to do is change the wording a little bit, and all of a sudden, slavery doesn't sound like slavery anymore. So God rejects that generation. They wander for 40 years in the wilderness until they die off, except for Joshua and Caleb. The new generation is led into the promised land by Joshua and Caleb, and they just wreak havoc. Jericho, and on it goes. And we get this really cool moment in Joshua 14 towards the end of the campaign. Caleb says to his friend Joshua, they're much older now, I was 40 years old when Moses, the servant of the Lord, sent me from Kadesh Barnea to explore the land of Canaan. I returned and gave an honest report, but my brothers who went with me frightened the people of, from entering the promised land. For my part, I wholeheartedly followed the Lord my God. So that day Moses solemnly promised me 
The land of Canaan on which you were just walking will be your grant of land and that of your descendants forever because you wholeheartedly followed the Lord my God. Wholeheartedly, 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 wholeheartedly. Ooh, can't say that too many times fast. Verse 10, now as you can see, the Lord has kept me alive and well. I didn't just survive, I prospered. Alive and well, as he promised for all these 45 years since Moses made this promise, even while Israel wandered in the wilderness for the first 40. It wasn't terrible for a week and awesome for the rest of it. It was terrible for most of it and good for a little bit. Today I am 85 years old. My favorite verse in the Bible right now. I am as strong now as I was then. When Moses sent me on that journey, I can still travel and fight as well as I could then. So give me the hill country that Lord promised me. You will remember that as scouts, you know when we were over the hill at 40? He's 85 now, minus 45 is 40. He was already over the hill when they went in the first time and didn't get to go. You will remember that as scouts, when we were over the hill, we found the descendants of Anak, those are the giants, living there in great walled towns. But if the Lord is with me, didn't assume anything, even though the Lord had been with him his whole life. But if the Lord is with me, I will drive them out of the land, just as the Lord said. My goodness. Real quick, um, this is not a fairy tale. This is not a metaphor. When Caleb says, I can still travel and fight, he means that at 85, he's out in front carrying a sword and a shield. I get the picture of, like, he's bald now, probably. Long gray beard and, like, 12-pack, just massive shoulders. (laughs) But think about it. Think about it. He's been carrying a really heavy sword that I probably couldn't pick up the whole time. They didn't have aluminum back then and a really heavy wooden or bronze shield for 45 years. The dude had big arms. He just did. And they're in the desert, so they're sweating all the water weight out. I mean, he's jacked. He's very low body fat at 85. This is not, I mean, it is, I, guess, I suppose it's kind of funny since you guys are laughing, but it's not a joke. Like, that's what really, it was really like. So let's fast forward to Joshua 15. Verse 13, then the Lord commanded Joshua to assign some of Judah's territory to Caleb, son of Jephunneh. So Caleb was given the town of Hebron. Caleb drove out three groups, not just one giant, not three giants, three groups of Anakites, the descendants of Shishai, Ahiman, and Talmai, the sons of Anak. So Caleb was just fine. From there, he went to fight against the people living in the town of Deber. Caleb said, I will give my daughter Aksa in marriage to the one who attacks and captures it. Othniel, the son of Caleb's brother, Kenaz, was the one who conquered it, so Aksa became Othniel's wife. Very quickly, that little marriage thing sounds weird in our context. I promise you at that time, it was not. So don't get distracted by the marriage thing. You have to focus on what Caleb was doing. He conquers three groups of giants. He leads, the, he leads his team, the tribe of Judah, and they conquer three groups of giants. Then he moves on to Deber, and he offers his daughter in marriage to the one who conquers it. What was he doing? Caleb was passing on that different spirit. The older men teaching the younger men how to be men. He didn't want his family to relax. He didn't want his family to forget what they were called to do or to forget how to fight. So he showed them how to do it for five plus years, grand finale home run, take out three groups of giants, and then step back and say, okay, now it's your turn. 
How many know that if somebody does everything for you, you can't learn anything? You can't grow at all? Okay? You can't get any stronger if somebody's lifting the weights for you. That's what Caleb was doing. He was a glass half full type of a guy, and it's really hard to find that kind of person today, I would say. He followed the Lord wholeheartedly, so it follows that he believed consistently in his ability to conquer any obstacle that was in his way with God's provision. And he wasn't arrogant. He was exceedingly humble. And his vision was ultra long-term, super long-term. And he didn't let age or giants or pandemics or social media or YouTube diminish that at all. The Democrats could not diminish it. The Republicans could not diminish it. Long-term vision. God is above all of that junk. With that long-term vision, then, he could focus and grind for 45 years to see fulfillment of that vision. Again, 40 years in the desert, waiting for his, his unfaithful generation to die off. He could have gone into the promised land right then at 40, and he had to wait for 40 years while the, his faithless generation died off. But he was carrying a sword and a shield the whole time, so he got stronger and stronger and stronger. That's why he was able to say at 45, hey, I'm just as strong now as I was then. And notice he spent zero time talking about his work ethic, his gifting, his leadership skills, his sword play, his bench press numbers, his victories in battle, only to the extent that God did all of it. He had all those things in spades. And what was his, what was Caleb, how did Caleb tell his story? God did it. God sustained me. God strengthened me. That very, very, just very succinct man. That's how he told this whole story. God sustained me. He listened intently so that he could hear clearly, so that he could obey quickly. And, if, and some of you in this room are super, super relating to this like ageless super warrior of Caleb right now, that military leader type of a thing. So grab onto that and don't let go. Some of you you have a different personality, you have a different makeup, and so maybe you don't relate to that kind of person. So let's go to Exodus 35, verse 30. The Israelites are about to start building the tabernacle. So this is before all of this stuff with Caleb. They're about to start building the tabernacle. And it says, Then Moses told the people of Israel, the Lord has specifically chosen Bezalel, son of Uri, grandson of Hur of the tribe of Judah. Raise your hand if you've heard of Bezalel before. Yes, we're learning something today. Almost nobody. Good. The Lord has filled Bezalel with the Spirit of God, giving him great wisdom, ability, and expertise in all kinds of crafts. That sounds like a hero to me. Not a lot of airtime, though. In fact, you don't hear a word from him in this passage. You just get to hear about him. He is a master craftsman, expert in working with gold, silver, and bronze. He is skilled in engraving and mounting gemstones and in carving wood. He is master at every craft, and the Lord has given both him and Aholiab. Raise your hand if you've heard of Aholiab. Good. Son of Ahisamach of the tribe of Dan. The ability to teach their skills to others. Yeah. The Lord has given them special skills as engravers, designers, embroiderers in blue, purple, and scarlet thread on fine linen cloth and weavers. They excel as craftsmen and designers. We have some Bezalels and Aholiabs in this church. 
Okay? This is for you. Pay attention. Some of the features these guys designed and built of the tabernacle, some of the features of the tabernacle that they designed and built were completely hidden from view by anyone walking into the tabernacle. The only one who could see their finished work was God. So they got no credit, no praise, no recognition, but God saw it and he was exceedingly pleased with them. The point here is that the Bible, there's people in the Bible that were filled with the Spirit and fulfilled their callings until the day they died that were superheroes that we read a lot about and we hear a lot from. But it wasn't just the warriors and the prophets. It wasn't just the worship leaders and the preachers and the leadership team. It wasn't just people that we would say in 2020 as like high potential, visible, dynamic people. Paul says that all parts of the body need each other to function properly. But let me put it to you this way. We have people in this room and some even on Facebook Live, I think. Right now, they are spending their weekdays, maybe even some Saturdays, rebuilding 307 Oak Street into a permanent location for us. And when you get a chance, take a quick drive by the building or walk by on your way to Zion or Sugar. And we're going to be, as construction goes on, we're going to post a lot of photos and videos and stuff. You will be kept up to date. But take, take your time. Take some time. Go drive by or walk by. 307 does not look like a church right now. There's no preaching. There's no worship leading. There's no kids ministry. There's no outreach. We've got concrete foundation being torn up and re-poured. We've got plumbing being ripped up and replaced and rerouted because we need the bathrooms in a different spot than where they were before. There's dust and debris everywhere. It's a huge mess. So, again, it does not look like a church at all. Not a single Sunday service is going to be held until the electrical work is done, the plumbing, the AC, the walls, the stage, the sound. All that stuff's got to be done. Much of that work, when finished, will be hidden from view. We're going to walk in and we're going to see this beautiful facility. You know what you're not going to see? Pipes, wires, studs. Sound familiar? Only God's going to see that work when it's complete, Cody. Aaron Garber. Only God. Oh, sure, we get to reap the benefits of it. But God's going to look at that work that no one else can see, and he's going to say, I am proud of you even though you get no recognition from anybody else. You see, not a single word's going to be preached or a note's going to be sung on that stage until the builders are done with their work. So if you ask me who's got the most important job, it's not me. It's not me. Sunday morning can't happen until six months' worth of Mondays and Tuesdays and Wednesdays and Thursdays and Fridays and Saturdays are happening. You see, in my experience, 
as somebody who does have roles that put me up on stage a lot, if somebody up on stage looks really good and sounds really good, it's only because a bunch of people behind the scenes supported them. They built a solid stage. They programmed the lights well. They EQ'd the mics clearly. That week, that week of message prep leading up to the Sunday, they got some extra help with childcare to keep them out of the office so that they could prepare. The mama preachers know exactly what I'm talking about. But so do the dads. Becca keeps the boys out of my office while I'm preaching, while I'm preparing to preach. And tons 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 of prayer. If anybody up here looks good or sounds good, it's because a bunch of other stuff happened in the background that you don't ever see. So regardless of the role that you're supposed to play, it's time to find your lane and run in that lane until the day you die. There's no American dream in the kingdom of God. There's no retirement in the kingdom of God. You know what? Your calling is probably going to change. There's going to be turns as time goes on. Will I be leading worship every Sunday until the day I die? Part of me wants to do that, but it's probably not going to go that way. Because what's best for the kingdom is probably for me to spend less time on stage to make room for other people to run in their lane too and spend more time off stage teaching younger people and guiding younger people in how to lead worship. That's probably what's better for the kingdom. So it is going to change. Am I still a worship leader? Yep, until the day I die. Yep. Even if I play my last chord 15 years before I die. I'm still a worship leader until the day I die. So there's no retirement. There's only the completion of your mission, and then Jesus takes you home. Paul tells us this in Acts 20, 24. But my life is worth nothing to me unless I use it for finishing the work assigned to me. How many know you can't finish anything unless you go forward? The work of telling others the good news about the wonderful grace of God. So the question becomes, are you stepping forward in that mission or not? God is doing something new in your life as an individual, in this church, Church 214, and in the global church as a whole all around the world. He's doing something new right now. And you have, he's given you everything you need to join in. So the question is, are you in? I'll close with this. Jeremiah 3, verse 16. Also one of my favorite passages in the Bible right now. I've got a bunch of them. This is so for us in 2020 today. Look at that first phrase. And when your land is once more filled with people. Just, just, just sit in that for a little bit. Feels like we're in the desert. Quarantine, shutdowns, not seeing a lot of people. If you do, they got masks on a lot of times. Negativity, sadness. Feels empty. And when your land is once more filled with people, says the Lord. Not if. God's saying when. I am going to do it. When your land is once more filled with people, you will no longer wish for the good old days. You will no longer wish for the good old days. When you possess the Ark of the Lord's Covenant, has anybody seen Raiders of the Lost Ark? That thing is awesome. The Ark of the Covenant. 
You will not miss those days or even remember them, and there will be no need to rebuild the ark. In that day, Jerusalem, not the ark of the covenant, Jerusalem, a, a gold box, don't need that. A whole city, that's what we need to be the throne of the Lord. All nations will come there to honor the Lord, not just to the temple, to the whole city, and they will no longer stubbornly follow their own evil desires. That sounds awesome. The Ark of the Covenant was the most powerful picture of God's presence ever created by human hands. In the tabernacle and in the temple, God sat on it, the throne of the Lord. And God's saying through the prophet Jeremiah, hey, remember back then how awesome that was? Guess what? I'm doing something new today, tomorrow, and the next day, and the next day, and the next day. And it's going to be so good that you're not even going to remember the time when you had that box and I sat on it. I'm doing something so much bigger and so much more powerful, and there's so many more people involved, and it's not just in that little town in Israel. It's everywhere, all of my children, all around the world. I'm doing something new right now, and you're not even going to need to rebuild all that old stuff that used to remind you of me because I'm doing something new. I'm trying to do something new. So those were the days. Nah. These are the days, and those will be the days. So are you in? So I don't want to disrupt this presence that is here, but I want to read to you from the Word of God. We're going to read in Malachi 3, and this is just before the New Testament begins, and I think this is significant. We're we're stepping into a new season with Oak Street so soon, and I get to update you on that. But it says this in verse 10, bring all the tithes into the storehouse so that there will be enough food in my temple. If you do, says the Lord of heaven's armies, I will open the windows of heaven for you and I will pour out a blessing so great that you will not have enough room to take it in. Try it. Put me to the test. Your crops, your crops will be abundant for I will guard them from insects and disease. Your grapes, they will not fall from the vine before they are ripe, says the Lord of heaven's armies. Then all nations will call you blessed. Church 214, all nations will call us blessed. For your land will be such a delight, says the Lord of heaven's army. I'm going to invite you to take a seat for a moment. Because from day one in this church, we have acted like a family. We are a family, but we have done things that pull you in so that it's not about a leadership team or a band or a teaching team. It's about this family. And the theme of our family from day one has been God did that. It hasn't been about a team. It's been about God doing and working on our behalf, about God moving and building on our behalf. And I want to remind you of one incredible thing that God did, and it was about this space. So this space, we had the awesome opportunity to partner with a ministry locally, Camp of Champions, for the first months of this church, and that was almost six years ago. And that was such a beautiful season, and this church was birthed in that season. And then we needed a new space because that ministry was going to be opening up for the summer, and so we were displaced, but God had not displaced us. And we happened to see a flyer about this venue. Now, here's the thing. We were a tiny baby church, and we could not afford this venue. This was the most pricey venue that you could rent on a weekend in the area. So concerts would come in here and spend 
thousands and thousands of dollars for one evening for a concert. And we knew we could not afford it, but we came and we looked anyway, because how many know when God's leading the way, he is not bound by the economy of this world, right? So we walk in the building and um, actually pause. Our executive director called Holly. She called to inquire and she said, hey, we're a church. We need a space to rent on Sunday mornings. What would that look like for you guys? And he said, I have been waiting for your call. And God was already opening the door. So we come into this space, and the minute we walk in, we know that we're home. We knew that this was our space, and we knew that we could not afford it if we were going to work by man's economy. So we went back to the team, and we said, team, it's awesome. It's ours. We know it is. We need to pray that God gives it to us for a price we can afford. And as a team, we started to pray, and many of us felt that we could afford about $500 a Sunday, which was way under value, less than 10% of what they would normally charge. 10%. Interesting. What we bring to the storehouse. Interesting. How God multiplies. And so our executive director called and she said, hey, we love the space. We think it's perfect for us. We absolutely want to rent for you. We cannot afford your going rate. What would you charge us? And he said, let me talk to the owners. He comes back a few days later and he says, hey, we'd like to charge you $500 a Sunday. 10%. So God says, bring your tithe and you will not have room for what I'm going to do for you. And we believe that that is what's getting ready to happen with Oak Street. So I want to update you, and I got to do this fast. But just this week, we got word from the bank. And I'm not going to lie, guys. The last year, working with the lender has been one roadblock after the next, after the next, after the next. Push back, push back, push back. But you all have been so faithful to give. We have been so faithful to give. So I want to update you. Um, Right before COVID hit, we were getting ready to go to our lender and ask for a construction loan so that we could start construction. And then COVID hit. And we got some wise counsel and they said, yeah, as a church, as a nonprofit, do not go ask for a loan. They will deny you without even looking at your case. And so we pushed pause on that construction loan. Okay? So... Those of us that had been here from the beginning have been giving over the last year towards the Oak Street building and towards the um, construction that will be happening. And so I want to tell you, um, we were able, with the money that you gave over the last year, we were able to purchase the building, have the, have the down payment to purchase that building, and then we were able to begin building a giving uh, fund, a, a building fund that would be used for the down payment of a construction loan. Okay, so just like when you buy a house, they've got to go in and they've got to appraise the building. This week, we got the appraisal back. And no surprise, it came in well under value. Okay, so according to the professionals in the industry, according to our construction company who does this all of the time, he said that is so under value. That is not an accurate appraisal. But you know what we said? We were not discouraged. We went, God is setting himself up to get the glory for this. Because how many know if the appraisal came in where we needed it to be, easy peasy, you get the loan, right? But God is setting himself up to get the glory for this. So here's the numbers. We needed the appraisal to come in at $1,220,000. The appraisal came in at $1,050,000. So there is an $85,000 difference. Now, we do have a really good chunk of money in the bank in order to put down on the loan. However, the lender has come back and said, because it has appraised under value, 
you need more money in the bank, which is not unusual. But I do believe this is a direct attack from the enemy because Chris said it. He said the enemy has taken his stand, but the church is stepping up to take our stand. And that is what we are going to do as a body of believers, as the church of Jesus. We're going to take our stand and say, hey, enemy, we are not backing down. We are not going to be bullied out of this building. We are going to take the land. We are going to step into the land. So look up here on the screen. This is the rendering that we've been working with the design company. This is what Church 214 is going to look like come Christmas time. Okay? So our builder has told us, he said, we will be in uh, give or take by Christmas. Okay? So I want to update you. We are hoping to be in our new space as building owners by Christmas. And it will look something like that, Lord willing. Okay? But we cannot move forward and get the construction loan until we bring our bank account up by that $85,000 due to the undervaluation of the building. So we get to rally and we get to boldly ask Jesus to provide this. If we have learned anything in this church, it is that God does not work according to our economy. He has got his entirely separate set of resources that he uses. And so we are going to boldly bring our tithes and our offerings to the, to the storehouse, and we're going to watch God fill it. We're going to watch God do what only he can do. And I want to take you back about, I don't know, 12 or 13 years ago. Many of us on this leadership team, in fact, maybe all of us, had the opportunity to invest into a building fund of a church. And we gave sacrificially. I'm going to brag on my husband for a second. He is an avid hunter. And if you're married to a hunter, you know that it's a pricey gig. It is not cheap. It's not a cheap hobby. So we were young marrieds. We had like no money because I was serving in ministry. He was working on some education. And we had this opportunity to give to this church out of our nothingness. And we were praying, Lord, how are we going to give? How are we going to partner with this church that we know we're called to, that we believe in? And Kip had this idea that we should sell his entire supply of hunting equipment. And it brought in a lot of money. And it was real tempting to use that to set us up for the next season of success. But the Lord called us to sow that into that church building. And it was so cool to see what God did. And you know what? It's so cool to see what God is still doing with that investment, with the faithfulness of his people. That church is thriving and growing and people are getting saved. And so now you get the opportunity to step into this. So here's the thing. We don't have like a 12-year or a 12-month plan for us to raise this money. We need to do it now. And we need to do it quickly. And I need your faith to be ignited right now. We're going we're gonna to pray and we're going to ask God to make this provision for us because I believe that he can and I believe that he will. He has called us to this. He has been faithful to us. We have not gone one Sunday morning without a venue to be able to meet in. He has provided. And so I believe that we're about ready to see the next move of God where our kids are going to remember this. They might not remember what happened six years ago when we started this church, you know, my, my five-year-old and, and four-year-old do not remember the move of God, but they hear us talking about it. And so now they're going to experience this move of God. Okay, so we're going to pray. Oh, Jesus, we thank you that we can use your word and then hold you to your promise. God, your promise says that if we bring our tithes, if we are faithful to bring the tithes to your storehouse, that you will fill it abundantly, that it will be overflowing. 
And God, someone on our team had a vision last week that our our Oak Street building, the doors would be open and we would be a storehouse of provision, of food and of water going out into the community. And I believe this is prophetic. God, to say that you're going to fill it and it may look differently than we thought. But God, you are going to be so faithful to provide. So I pray right now out of what will be sacrificial giving on all of our parts, God that you would provide this $85,000 gap, something that feels like a gap, something that feels like the enemy going, hey guys, you don't have what you need. And we go, hey, guess what, enemy? God has already provided all that we need according to his riches and glory in the name of Jesus. And so we are gonna stand and see the faithfulness of God over the Oak Street building. God, I pray for the person who gave us that evaluation, though it is undervalued, I pray the blessing of God upon her family. I pray that even though she missed the mark, God, that you would draw her to who you are. And God, I pray for our lender. I pray favor and blessing upon our lender. God, that they would begin to have the shackles removed from their eyes through this church. That by lending us a construction loan, they would not just be lending us money, but that they would be experiencing the presence of who you are, God, through this building. And God, I pray for every person who is going to faithfully give $1 or $100,000. God, to this fund. We thank you that you are blessing their finances. God, this isn't about like, hey, if you give 10%, God's going to give you 100% back. God, your economy looks so differently than ours. So I thank you and I praise you for this roadblock that the enemy thinks is going to offset us because now you get the glory and now you get the praise. And now we're going to get to say again, God did that for us. It wasn't about us. So God, thank you so much that we are going to get to stand and give you glory of how you come up with this $85,000. In Jesus' name I pray. And the body of Church 214 said? Amen. Amen. All right. So if you'd like to give towards an $85,000 difference, we would welcome it. Some of you have a really wealthy grandpa who isn't in church right now but he has a place he wants to give. Some of you have some investments you'd like to make. Some of you need some tax write-offs. When you give to a church, it is tax deductible. Now, I know Kip and I are working on the ways we can be sacrificial, not just the ways that are like, oh, yeah, we can afford our 10%. How do we give sacrificially? How do we help make this work? And I believe that we are going to see stories come from every single one of you about how God used you. And no, no amount is too small. Because God can multiply it in such a mighty way. All right, church, so you all are dismissed. You can um, see any, anyone on the leadership team if you need to know how to give. But you also can give online at church214.org. And you can just note it, the building fund. Um, obviously, we're going to know when $85,000 shows up in the bank what that was for. Okay? Amen? So you all may get on your feet. Um, I want to just tell you how much you all have blessed us. Our leadership team is so encouraged by you and your faithfulness. So this week, just know that you're valued and you are loved. And we are so thankful to get to partner with you in this season of Church 214. All right. We love you guys. You are dismissed.